powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello, hey everybody. Hi, thank you so much. Please sit, thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. That's right. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. Before I want to jump into this episode, though, I want to say a huge thank you to my last guest, Cherie Hawkins. She was an absolute delight, and it was a true honor to have her on the show. If you haven't listened to the interview, I strongly encourage you to do so after the conclusion of this episode. All right, so welcome to episode 129, and we have an incredibly special episode lined up for you today. In what will go down as a Mount Rushmore interview, in my opinion, we have on the show legendary radio DJ Richard Blade. Richard was incredibly generous with his time as we discussed everything from how he got started in the business, the history of pirate radio, his time at K-Rock, Depeche Mode, and of course his show First Wave on Sirius XM, which... For the record, is legit my favorite station on SiriusXM with Conan O'Brien's new station right there in second place. Lots and lots to discuss, so let's get Richard out of here. Duval Nation, please rise to your feet and welcome to the show, calling in from his home in Mexico, the legend himself, Richard Blade. Richard, hello. Welcome to the Derek Duval Show. How is the weather out by you today? Oh, the weather is beautiful. I'm in San Galita in Mexico, and it is 79 degrees and sunny. And yesterday it was 79 degrees and sunny. And tomorrow it's going to be 79 degrees and sunny. It's that time of year where it stays exactly the same through till the end of May. So I start my interviews off the same way. And that is, how has it been for you to navigate the COVID-19 world up to this point? It was... I mean, very fortunate for me, for Krista and I, my wife and I, we were very fortunate. We get on great. Um, I remember in March of 2020, around about the 12th or 13th of March, I said to Krista, I'm going to have to start making calls and uh, cancel some gigs because I had a lot of personal appearances. And almost as soon as I said that, the phone rang and it was people doing exactly the same thing. And so we literally hunkered down and we like each other we love our doggies so uh we we were very fortunate uh we didn't get covid until june of last year and i was doing a gig in new york where i got it but because of being uh, vaxxed and boosted it was uh, fortunately uh, very light for me and so I, i can't complain compared with so many other people we were lucky Fair enough. So every journey has a beginning. Now, according to what I read, you were born in Bristol seven years after the end of the Second World War. Uh, What was it like to grow up there post-war? It was not very nice. I I didn't like Bristol. Um, We moved from Bristol when I was six and a half. 
my parents moved down to this little seaside town called Torquay, which was mm-hmm. so much nicer. It, you know, you mentioned San Diego and it, it's got that kind of feel. It's got the beach, it's got uh, the water, it's got countryside. It, it's lovely. Bristol was a struggling industrial town. And at the time, uh, Britain was going through an e- economic crisis because after World War One, they didn't rebuild Germany which was a huge mistake because the people became desperate, hungry, the uh, Deutschmark collapsed and it left things open for someone like a Hitler to come along and uh, revitalize the country and then go into war. So America and Britain and France said, we have to rebuild Germany so this doesn't happen again. And uh, in doing that, it did wreck the economy of Great Britain for probably 15 to 20 years. but. Fortunately, until uh, Ukraine, it's it's been fairly good. So I've had countless guests on my show who attended Harvard, but never have one who attended Oxford. So what are your favorite memories from your time there? Oh, my favorite memories from Oxford would be Carolyn Wilson, my girlfriend there. She was a wonderful, wonderful girl. And uh, I, I enjoyed Oxford so much because there's 26 or 27 university colleges there that are all part of Oxford University. And there's so much nightlife going on, so much daylife as well. I mean, the the cafes and uh, those kind of things. It, there were students everywhere. And it just made you feel part of a, a great community. And in the summer, which unfortunately was short, um, because it's in the Midlands, Oxford, uh, it was fun because we would go out on the River Thames and we would go punting, which is a long, flat boat with a pole and you push yourself along the bottom and you drag a, a bottle of champagne below the boat to cool it off. Uh, Bond does that in uh, From Russia With Love, the opening scene of, uh, or the second scene in opening uh, of From Russia With Love, because, of course, the opening scene is, you know, the thing that sets up the movie. But uh, it was wonderful. Oxford was terrific and it got me into DJing. And I ended up DJing at all the different university colleges around and loved it. So at what point then in your life did you decide to follow your current life path as a radio personality? Well, I wanted to be a radio personality, but in England at the time, the government ruled the airwaves. There were no other radio stations apart from the BBC. And the BBC had four channels. That was it. Um, One was called Light Music which had um, some pop two hours a week. The second one was uh, classical. The third one was talk. And the fourth one was news. So for any kid, you're just pulling your hair out going, what the hell am I going to listen to? And pirate radio came along, which was um, these boats that anchored three miles out. So they're outside the maritime limit. And they put a transmitter on board and played all the latest music. And that was the only way we got to hear the Beatles and the Stones and the Who. And after a few years of that, the BBC caved in and they turned the light program into BBC Radio One, which was at the time 12 hours a day pop. Now it's 24 hours a day pop. And um, that was 2.47 on the dial. And I remember waking up in the morning to uh, hear the start of it. And it was the the move, Flowers in the Rain was the first song. And it was like, wow, this is going to be great. So I always dreamed about being a DJ on it. But the outlets in Britain were so small. And then I toured in Europe for two and a half years in clubs and did a little European radio in Austria. But I was like the, the token strange English voice 
on a German-speaking radio station. And I knew that if I ever wanted to have a career in radio, I would have to go to a country that spoke English. So that limited me to uh, England, Canada, America, South Africa, New Zealand, or Australia. And so um, sunshine, blue skies, California girls beckoned, and Freddie Laker took me over to Los Angeles. So when I was growing up in South Wales, my parents used to tell me stories about Radio Caroline mm -hmm. and, you know, the, off, off the shore and what have you. And then they did a movie a couple what, a couple of years ago, uh, kind of like a loose interpretation of, you know, that of that period. Absolutely, they did. And the uh, a friend of mine who uh, I worshipped back in the day, and I can't believe he's a friend now, Emperor Roscoe, he was the American in that that uh, came in and, you know, was on the boat when it sank and all that kind of silly stuff. Uh, you know, they, they screwed up the end of the movie. It could have just been great. But uh, I think it was called The Ship That Rocked or something the, like the, that. The Boat That Rocked. Boat That yeah. Rocked, yeah. Boat That Rocked, yeah. Um, but Roscoe was uh, an American who came over, and he was just great. He used to do this, hey, pop pickers, mother, mother, uh, I'm going to be uh, giving you some highfalutin, hustling, shooting you know, these great cool tunes to you all night long. And he'd be just doing this. I mean, no one can do it like Roscoe, and he was he was fantastic. Now he uh, lives not far from me in uh, the San Fernando Valley. That's awesome. So how hard was it for you to break into the business? It was almost impossible. When I first came over to the States, I saw that in Los Angeles there were like 50 radio stations. I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, that's 46 more than there are in England. So it shouldn't be too hard to get a job. So I, I literally went to almost every single one of them, um, apart from, you know, like religious stations and country stations. But all the pop stations, all the rock stations, I knocked on the door. I said, I'll work for free. I'll do an overnight shift. Um, you know, I'll pull records, whatever you want. And they all said, nope, 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 nope. And uh, one of them, the program director of KMET, she uh, looked at me. And, and I was working at the time to keep uh, myself alive and keep money. Uh, I was working as a club DJ and doing private parties, and I did a lot of celebrity ones. I did uh, Barbara Streisand's. I did I became Michael Jackson's personal DJ and did loads for him. So uh, I, I went and sat down opposite her at KMET, which was a legendary rock station in Los Angeles, and I slid all the press cuttings, me on the front page of the Los Angeles Times with Michael Jackson DJing. And uh, I said, you know, I've done all this. Uh, I, I'd love to work for you for free, you know, if you give me a shot. And she looked at me and she slid the papers back without even bothering to look. And she goes, uh, you'll never work in this town with that accent. And so I was <laughs> like, damn. But I took it as a challenge. And about four months later, K-West did a contest to find the best unknown DJ. And so I put together a tape and they were a hard rock station. And I took a couple of chances. I did a, a, a remix using reel to reel and wax crayon and a razor blades to do an extended version of uh, another brick in the wall and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I sent that in and uh, hey, presto, I got picked and uh, won and got my prize was uh, $10,000 and one hour on the air. And so I, and JJ Jackson, who uh, was one of the original MTV VJs, lovely guy who's no longer with us, he recorded the show for me and made me a whole bunch of dubs. And I sent out the dubs the next day. And two days later, I got a call from Bakersfield saying, uh, we'd like you to come out here and do evenings and be the music director. And that was a hard rock station, Rock of the Valley, Magic 98. 
I do have to ask you one question. Is what about the film Blade Runner appealed to you so much? Because I've watched the film a couple of times and it still just goes right over my head. Nothing, nothing of it. It hadn't even been released. I was desperately looking for a name because I was coming from a small, small station in Los Angeles called KNAC. I'd worked at Magic 98 in Bakersfield. I'd worked at Z93 in San Luis Obispo and built up my ratings record, my track record. And then I got a job doing overnights at KNAC and everyone there was lovely, great people. Jimmy Christopher, the program director, Norm McBride, the morning guy, loved them, but they had, they were crippled by a uh, terrible signal that the FCC ruled they couldn't boost. It was like 500 watts, whereas, you know, KISS FM was 50,000 watts. So they could only be heard in places up and down the coast. And when I uh, had the chance to go to K-Rock, naively, I thought, I don't want to take any of their listeners because I like these people too much. So I wanted to change my name. And I was going by Dick Shepard, Richard Shepard, my real name. And I wanted to go back to Richard I didn't want to use Shepard. I wanted to use something hip because on K-Rock, it was Freddie Snakeskin. There was Dusty Street. There was Ramondo. There was Sam Freeze. So uh, I was just looking through a newspaper desperately as the song was finishing, telecommunication from Flock of Seagulls. And there was an ad for a movie opening in two weeks' time. And it said Blade Runner. And I thought, that'll be great, Richard Runner. I'll be Richard Runner, and I can use the Rolls-Royce logo. I can rip that off, and it will look fantastic. Uh, I, I'll, I'll do that. And I dropped the paper, and this was back in the days when newspapers were, you know, huge, massive things, you know. And I dropped that on the ground and, uh, you know, queued up the next song. This one's finishing. And as I turned on the mic, I was like, oh, my God, everyone in Los Angeles is listening right now. You got just had that sinking feeling. And I said, yeah, Flock of Seagulls, Telecom, as the fans call it. My name's Richard. And I couldn't remember the last name. I couldn't remember <laughs> Runner. And I looked down, and the paper had folded on itself. All I could see was Blade. So I went, Richard Blade, and I'm going to be with you in for Jed the Fish for the next two weeks while he's in Hawaii swimming around. So uh, stick around, and we'll play you some OMD. And so that's how Richard Blade was born. It that's wasn't awesome. the movie. It, 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 the movie is... I, I like the movie. I must admit, I do like the movie, but uh, it was not because I'd seen it. No one had seen it, I don't think, for two weeks, apart from Ridley that's Scott. That's that's crazy. Yeah. So I'm going to paint a large brush here, but I do have to ask, your time at K-Rock, mm -hmm. what are some of your favorite memories, just off the top of your head, during your tenure with this legendary station? <sighs> there were so many good ones. Uh, working with my morning show partner, Ramondo, I learned so much from him. He was great. He'd uh, done a, a lot of stations. He'd worked in San Diego, for example. He'd worked at top 40 stations, so he knew how to keep mo music moving along. He knew how to uh, condense things so you weren't being superfluous with your words. And he knew how to be funny. So working with him every day was just a blessing. Um, to be surrounded by other people like Dusty Street and Jed and Freddie was fantastic as well. And then to get the note, the bands, you know, Depeche Mode and Duran Duran was just uh, amazing. And um, so many great things. I, I remember being in the production room in uh, middle of October uh, of 1982 and getting a phone call. And it was a guy putting together a TV show called MV3. And he said, this is a broadcast version of MTV. And we're looking for a host. Do you have your own hair and your own teeth? 
And I said, yeah, I, I, I do actually. And he said, would you come down and audition? And I said, when? And he said, today. So I said, okay. And I drove down and it was from Pasadena to Burbank, which was hardly any distance at all, 15 minute drive. But I remember so clearly, it's like, if ever you've watched Doctor Who, they talk about moments in space and time. It was that moment in space and time that will always be there forever for me. As I was coming down the hill, I remember thinking, if I get this audition, my life will change today. Uh, so I, I went there and he told me on the phone, he said, prepare 60 seconds on any new wave band that you can talk about on camera. So I talked about a new group called Yazoo <laughs> and uh, a song called uh, Don't Go. And I stood there in front of this blue screen and they had the cameras on me and the lights and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I did the 60 seconds on Yazoo. And I said, so as they run through a haunted house pursued by skeletons, I want you to think about dancing to the music because it's got such a driving beat. And I can't wait for more music from Vince Clark and Alison Moyer, Yazoo. And there was absolute silence. And I thought, shit, I've blown it. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. And uh, the uh, director looks at the producer and the producer looks at him and he said, were you rolling? And he said, no. He said, damn it. He said, roll it. He said, this will be the first World Rock Report. So I had to do it again. And it was the very first one on the very first show, but I was hired in that 60 seconds. So that was an incredible moment for me. That's awesome. What led you to SiriusXM? Well, I'd left K-Rock after 18 and a half years. Um, I'd done everything I could do there. The music was changing. They weren't uh, into the same kind of music that I wanted to play. And it's their radio station, so I don't, I don't assume I should play it. I should play what they want me to play. You know, it's like if you work for a bank, you're not going to be serving up muffins. <laughs> you're going to be, you know, cashing checks. So uh, I, I didn't, I wasn't into Soundgarden. I wasn't into Pearl Jam. I wasn't into these bands. And I was doing the 80s and the flashback lunch was one of the most listened to hours on the station along with Loveline and the morning show. You know, the three points in the, in the day part, the mornings, the middays and the evening. That's why K-Rock was so massive. But I'd done it and there were other dreams I had. And one of them growing up in Torquay in the south of England, I loved the water and I loved scuba diving. And I'd learned to scuba dive with the RAF, the Royal Air Force, when I was in Oxford because I was the captain of the swim team. And the RAF needed a pool to train the guys to uh, use uh, scuba tanks. They had a what they called a diver down tube, which was a 60-foot tube that you, with a, a rail on it. And you were put into a, a chair, harnessed in, and dropped down. You had to get out swim up but they wanted people to be more comfortable in the water and they figured if they could learn to scuba dive why not so uh, i set up scuba classes for the raf not knowing how to teach scuba myself but <laughs> they had it well they had instructors and but my my prerequisite was that they had to teach me as well so it was great i, I nothing but respect for people in the service i mean these guys are incredible they'll do whatever they're told to do and uh, so uh, I did that, and it was it was just it was wonderful. And um, so well, that was one of my memories was how much I love scuba diving. But the thing about England is the water's cold, 
it's not clear. And I, I wanted to go where I could teach, where it was crystal clear and really warm. And if I had to wear a wetsuit, I would, but most of the time I could just be in shorts. And so uh, my wife and I, we bought a house in St. Martin in the Caribbean in 1997. And it was uh, rented out at the time. And we told the person who was renting it, we'll give you three years notice. And we're going to up you. We're going to do lots of things for you in that three years. We're going to put new washer and dryer in, new air conditioning, all this kind of stuff. Um, but at the end of three years, we're moving down there. And she was fine with that. She was oh, great. You know, no increase in rent and all this good stuff coming our way. And so uh, in February of 2000, we used Y2K as the out. You know, the world was going to end. Planes were going to call out, fall out of the sky, et cetera, you know, with Y2K. Uh, I gave my notice thinking they were going to tell me not to come back on Monday because they never let DJs back on the air once they've given a notice. And they had me work the two months notice I gave them until uh, April 27th, where they gave me a huge going away party at the palace with Duran Duran playing, Billy Idol, Tears for Fears, Berlin, Drama Rama, English Beat. It was it was just fantastic. And so uh, I had a great send off and we moved to the Caribbean and uh, worked at a dive shop there called Dive Safaris. Okay, Duval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we'll be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Richard Blade. May I suggest you take that time to refresh that drink and take some super long, deep breaths. Please give your attention to a few friends of the show, and we will be right back. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated, and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podcasting Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podcasticaudio.com slash easy. Duval Nation, Derek and Mindy Duval here to talk about Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. The Derek Duval Show and Derek and Mindy's Fun With Movies is proud to be sponsored by the team at Jerky Pro. As a veteran, I am always the first to support veteran-owned businesses. Setting up shop in 1987 and founded by military and paramilitary veterans, they have set the bar for how beef jerky is processed, flavored, packaged, and sold. With strict quality control standards, Jerky Pro offers many flavors that are sure to please any beef jerky connoisseur. From the standard original flavor to honey glazed, peppered, teriyaki, sweet barbecue, or if you're brave enough, the fierce red hot, there are many flavors guaranteed to entice your palate. Offered in various sized packaging, use promo code DUBAL37, all in capital letters, at checkout to receive a 5% discount. Remember, folks, if your beef jerky is not making your mouth water, then it's not Jerky Pro Beef Jerky. Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. Hey, this is Patrick Baker, and you are listening to The Derek Duvall Show. Check out my new single, Sorrow, available on all major streaming platforms. And you can check my site out at patrickbakermusic.com. Don't leave my heart, but heart alone. 
Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts. Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. Looking for a new podcast? Check out the Infectious Groove podcast. My name is Russ, and I host the show along with Michelle and Kyle. Every Monday, the three of us bring you music news and tell you our jammy jams, so you'll always have new music to check out. The Infectious Groove podcast discusses music from nearly every decade and genre while openly displaying our passion for music you need to hear. On top of that, we have a thought-provoking main topic of discussion every week to get you thinking, discussing, and sharing music. We also include interviews with the music stars of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms. Subscribe and listen to the Infectious Groove podcast on your favorite podcast platform today. Hey, it's Presley Tennant, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find my brand new EP, 600 Miles, on all streaming platforms right now. This is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, A Veteran's Journey from Homeless to Hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 129 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with legendary radio DJ Richard Blade. What excited you most about joining First Wave? What I liked about First Wave was the way they approached me. They said, you come from terrestrial radio. And the thing about terrestrial radio is the music is an interruption of the commercials because they're all about selling commercials. Uh, That's, that's what keeps the radio going. And so they don't particularly care if Whitney Houston had a new song or George Michael had a new song or the cure had a new song. That was just something they played. It was the Budweiser spots that were more important. It's kind of like the Super Bowl, you know, the commercials are, a way they get all the money. Sirius said to me, we're not like that. 
we're all about the subscribers because people have to pay to listen. There's no commercials. So everything you do is for the listener, not to sell product. So if you can keep that in mind and come up with things that are happening, concerts, tours, albums, birthdays, make it interesting for the listener. So every time they tune in, it still feels relevant. If you can do that, then we want to have you. And so that was a complete 180 degree turn for me because before it being, you know, making Budweiser happy. Now it was making Susan in, you know, Ottawa, Canada happy because she was paying her, you know, $14.99 a month. You've been in the radio business for a long, long time. There's no question about that. Do you still get starstruck from time to time if you meet a legendary musician? Oh, absolutely. Um, I fanboy just like everybody else does. You know, people come up to me and go, can I get a photo with you? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And they go, oh, sorry to bother you. I'm like, hey, you should see me fanboy. You know, <laughs> I, I was uh, like at Duran Duran at the Hollywood Bowl. And uh, there was an after party on the last day because they didn't do it the first. They did three nights at the Hollywood Bowl. And they couldn't do an after party the first two nights just in case of COVID. So, but the last night they did an after party. And Nick Rhodes calls me and goes, Richard, come on over, come on over. So I walk over and he's talking with someone and he goes, I just want you to meet Julian Lennon. And I was like, oh, Julian <laughs> Lennon. I said, just reading about you in People magazine. You've got a new album out. And he goes, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you know about it. And I said, huge fan, man. And I said, uh, and the Beatles, one of my all time favorites. I said, what a, what a history, what a background you come from. And I said, can we get a photo? He's like, sure. So yeah, I was, I was fanboying, definitely. You know, it's amazing. Um, you see all these lists that come out, you know, Rolling Stone or, or Consequence puts out, you know, the greatest band of all time, if you want to call it that. And it's always number one, the mm -hmm. Beatles. Yeah. Never, ever be, again, a more influential band, in my humble opinion. I think you're right. I, I, it's amazing. Uh, I, I remember my dear friend, John Bennett, who's actually coming over to stay with us in uh, about three weeks. Um, I knew him from the age of uh, 10 onwards and he had the Beatles. She loves you. And we listened to see she loves you in his bedroom and then he flipped it over and listened to the other side. He goes, what do you think? I said, it's really, really good, but it's not as good as Cliff Richard in the shadows. I don't think that <laughs> they're going to last that long. It just goes to show. I know nothing about music. <laughs> good Lord. I haven't heard the name Cliff Richard in a while. That's wow. That's yeah. crazy. So this next question is, is just rather timely. Depeche Mode just dropped their new single, Ghost right. Again. It's been fantastic. I've listened to it when you've played it on the show and what have you. You. The question is, though, you were in the Depeche Mode 101 documentary. Mm -hmm. Do you have favorite memories from interacting with the band? Yeah. When they were doing the Songs of Faith and Devotion tour. They launched it in Florida, and quite often they do launch their tours in Florida. The Memento Mori tour is not. It's going to be launched in Sacramento. And uh, the Hard Rock was just opening there at Universal. They were building in um, Florida. And so they flew me out to host it with the guys from Depeche Mode. And so I had to do my morning show and then flew out because of the time difference. I got in at about 1.30 in the morning, and there was a car, and it took me to the hotel. And I walk in to the lobby and sitting there in the lobby was Fletch and Alan. And they went, we've been waiting. <laughs> and I said, oh, my God, thank you, guys. And they said, come on, let's have a beer. And we went to the jacuzzi and Dave was there. Martin had gone. And the three of us just sat in the jacuzzi and 
talked about everything but music, basically, you know, <laughs> just hanging out. And that was a, a real favorite moment of mine. And uh, another one was the warehouse riot in 1990, which we're coming up on the anniversary of uh, 33 years. And that was incredible. The guys from Depeche Mode had no idea how big it was going to be. I knew because I helped put it together with Warner Brothers and uh, Howie Klein from uh, Sire and Mute had been talking with Seymour Stein and they knew it was going to be big, much bigger. They wanted it to be bigger than Van Halen Tower Records, which attracted 5,000. And this attracted 17,500. But the great thing about it was, even though the police declared it a, a riot and brought in uh, three helicopters and two mounted units and closed down six city blocks, nobody was hurt. Because it wasn't like a heavy metal crowd where they're going to start pushing and fighting and breaking glass. Nobody did that. They dissipated. And then uh, Depeche Mode said, we have to do something for the crowd. And they asked me if I would uh, produce a single for them, a which was um, going to be distributed to all the kids who couldn't get in. And then they liked what came out so much that they distributed it across the country. So it was uh, available as a Depeche Mode single. So uh, that was cool. Mm-hmm. Losing Andy, I, I can't remember in recent memory a musician that was so so devastating to lose him it, it, so unexpectedly. Absolutely. And of all of the members, he was the one that was the biggest surprise because he was such a great family man. And it was just some kind of weird medical condition that he had in his blood. And it's one of those things, apparently, if if that particular artery ruptures inside, and I'm probably getting it completely wrong, I'm not you know, a doctor, I just play one on the radio. Um, <laughs> if it ruptures inside, if you're not in a hospital within like 90 seconds, then you're dead. And that's what happened with Andy. And it just was, I mean, devastating. What a, what a shame. I don't know how the stage setup is going to be, but I, yeah. would love to, I would love to see an empty synthesizer on the left-hand side of the stage with a single white light on it. I think that mm. would be incredible. I agree. Uh, I want to talk to you about your new book. The Unlocked Interviews, where right. did the idea come from to write this book? Well, it was a follow-up to the lockdown interviews where I'd been able to do long-form conversations with artists during COVID. And those normally, as you know, you know, everyone's on a schedule. Oh, I'm going to give you 30 minutes and that's it. And you're gone. Entertainment tonight's waiting or whatever. Um, but with the uh, lockdown interviews, like with boy George I had six hours with him. I mean, we just chatted and he did a whole show with me and I mean, it was crazy. And so I thought, you know, I should not let these go to waste. I should put out a book. So I did, and it did really well. And then once the uh, COVID pandemic started to lighten up and every band in the world, as you know, is out on the road. It's like one of the busiest years ever for touring. Once those bands started coming out, they wanted to talk about the tour, you know, Roxy Music, their 50th anniversary tour, the cult back out on the road and rocking it, um, Soft Cell doing their thing. And so I thought, yeah, let's do a sequel to it and call it the Unlocked Interviews because these are going to be long form, but with bands that can now get out and put new music out because they can get back in the studio and tour and perform for the audiences. So they're really a, a two-part book, the lockdown and the unlocked interviews. You mentioned Roxy Music. It's just a memory just came to mind. Back in September of last year, I went down to Dallas to see uh, Porcupine Tree, a progressive mm. rock band. 
And that night, uh, everyone was making comment. It was Roxy Music was playing in the city. Billy Joel was playing in the city wow. and Porcupine Tree at the same time. And everyone apparently was like bouncing back and forth <laughs> for all these yeah. concerts. Crazy. I, I know. It's feast or famine. We went through two years of absolutely nothing. And now, wow, everybody is out there. It's yeah. crazy. So the names in your book read as a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame roster. How long did it take you to assemble all of the interviews? The lockdown ones, one year. The unlocked, about nine months. So it was done in a fairly short period of time. I would be doing quite often two interviews a week, long-form interviews. And then I would edit those for Sirius XM for a podcast. And the, the pain of it, the uh, thing that took the most time, was transcribing it mm. and making sure it was done right. And I couldn't send it out to you know Fiverr or one of these companies because a lot of the words they wouldn't understand. So because you know English wasn't their first language, so I didn't want any mistakes in there. Did the bands included in the book, did they have final say? Of, you know, you give them the form of like, hey, this is what I want to put out in the world. Is that okay with you? Absolutely. I reached out to everyone. And the one comment I got was from Andy McCluskey of OMD when I wrote the word mom. He goes, no, it's mum. I'm, <laughs> I'm English, Richard. You know I'm English. Mum. So I was like, all right. But everything, everyone else, you know, and, and he said he very good natured. You know, I mean, it was, it was yeah. not, not a mean thing. <laughs> Of all the bands in this book, who is the one off the top of your head that stands above all others? Ooh, that is such a good question. In the unlocked interviews, I would say Roxy Music for me, because I remember being in Oxford, watching Top of the Pops and seeing that debut performance when Brian Ferry came on and just rocked it. And it was like, what is this? And just a few weeks before, uh, I'd seen Queen come on top of the pops and Queen picked up the microphone. Freddie picked it up, turned it upside down and sang into it with the, the mic going up there. And I could almost imagine the BBC text going, put it down, you fool. You know, it'll, you'll drop it. So, uh, but it was one of those life changing moments. Like when Bowie did uh, Starman with Mick Ronson on top of the pops, that performance was and I, I would love to have interviewed Bowie. I, I spoke to him a couple of times at K Rock gigs, but never had the chance to really sit down. But Starman influenced so many groups. Gary Kemp said that he thought that Bowie was singing directly to him. Ian McCulloch said that was the next day he went out and bought an acoustic guitar so he could learn to play. You know, the effects of that TV show, Top of the Pops, can't be overstated. I wish they would bring Top of the Pops to the United States. Do you think that that show would translate well over here? They tried. They tried. And I, I worked on it uh, in, when was that? 1996. They, they did one season of it. But it was just, it was too American. You know, they, they didn't stick true to it. So it didn't translate and, and it went away. And unfortunately with American TV, if you don't have a hit within four weeks, then it's, yeah. it's out of there. So they let it run for 13 episodes and then it was gone. What is the one song that you wish you could have introduced to the world on radio? Oh, maybe you can't always get what you want from mm. the Rolling Stones uh, or light my fire from the doors or Penny Lane from the Beatles, all of which I adore. 
fantastic great, songs. Yeah, great tracks, great tracks. Yeah. Um, I do want to say to my listeners that may not be aware, uh, but you've been chosen to have a star on the yeah. Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yeah, what is it like to learn about receiving that honor? It was weird. I was in the kitchen with my wife, and the phone rang, and I didn't recognize the number. And a woman's voice came on, and she goes, "Are you excited?" And I'm like, "Oh my god!" And my wife looks at me like, "What? What is this?" And I said, um, not really, no, can I help you? And she said, this is Anna from the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce. I said, hello, Anna, well, can I help you? And she said, yeah, you've uh, been given a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And I was like, ah. and my wife levitated about six inches off the ground and started spinning. And then um, we tried to get the star last summer and I wanted Duran Duran to be there to uh, kind of induct me, you know, to do the speech and that. But unfortunately, the date that I wanted, they were in Ireland on tour with their Future Past tour. So now the star is going to go in in the summer of 2024 because 2023 is fully booked because for two years, no one could get the stars because of COVID. So they had to, you know, and they won't do more than three stars in a month. So um, mine will be in 2024, and it's going to be across from Capitol Records, Beatles oh, and Duran, uh, outside of the Palace, because they used to do a residency at the Palace in Hollywood, which is now the Avalon. So uh, that's why I wanted it. And I'm right. going to try and get Jimmy Kimmel, as well as uh, Duran Duran, to do it, because uh, Jimmy worked with me at K-Rock for many years. Great guy. I remember that. Uh, what's next for Richard, then? Um, I got a, a couple of projects. I'm writing a lot. I've written four novels in addition to uh, three nonfiction, you know, World in My Eyes, my autobiography, and the uh, two interview ones. I'm writing a fifth novel right now, which is based on a true story, uh, World War II true story that was covered up. It featured the, unfortunately, one of the biggest losses of uh, American lives in history, and it happened in England. You know, how can 900 Americans die in England? You know, that was, uh, and, but it was hushed up because D-Day was right around the corner and the uh, generals on both sides, both the U.S. generals and the British generals had screwed up and they were worried that they were going to get their uh, pips taken from their shoulder. So they covered it up for 25 years. And uh, I found out about it because it was right around the corner from where I grew up. So that's going to be uh, the next book, hopefully before Christmas. I'm looking forward to that because I, I study World War II, so I'm, I'm very interested to read about that. So yeah. so as we enter the final phase of this interview, I always like to ask one fun question. That is, you know, when you aren't on the radio, what do you do for fun? You know, how do you relax? Well, being in Mexico, there's a lot of fun things to do. Happy hour. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> twice a week we go for a happy hour at a place called La Isla. But love to go surfing. Love to go down to the beach. Just right before I talked to you, Derek, we took the doggies down for their pee onto the beach and uh, walked on the sand and just enjoyed the sunshine and the blue skies. I do like to read. I do like to travel as well. I haven't done a lot of travel outside of work for a while, but this summer I'm taking two weeks off from Sirius and we're going to Greece. And Greece is one of those places that talks to me. I don't know if you have those kind of places, Derek, whether when you read about them or you go to them, you feel, God, I have a connection here. I don't know what it is, you know. So I'm, I basically kick back. My wife and I uh, love TV, but we don't binge. We mm -hmm. only allow ourselves two TV shows a night, and they can never be the same one twice. So, <laughs> for example, last night we watched 
The Last of Us on HBO, episode three, which was brilliant. Episode one and two were good. Episode three was some of the best TV I have ever, ever seen. Is that the one with Nick Offerman? Because I think everybody's been talking about it. That's the episode with him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. What an episode. I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but it it was, oh, my goodness. If that episode doesn't get Emmy nominated for writing, cinematography, acting, directing, I mean, you know, because they were sending specific episodes. Right. And and the other one we watched is the latest season of a show called Sky Rojo, which is subtitled, and it's done by the same person who did La Casa de Papel, which is Money Heist, um, Spanish show. But it's uh, one of Netflix's biggest shows ever. And um, it was three seasons long about uh, criminals who were trying to rob the um, mint in madrid but it was so so popular that netflix said all right here's a bucket of money do another show anything you want so he did one called white lines which was about djs doing coke in ibiza which was (laughs) which was cool but only ran one season and sky rojo which is about a bunch of whores and they call themselves that i'm not being derogatory to uh, women uh, who've been sex trafficked to an island off the coast of spain and can't get away because the guy's taken the passport and until they make enough money for him, he won't let them go. And so there's a lot goes on in it and a lot of nudity, a lot of pretty girls, a lot of silly chases. I mean, people get shot and in the next episode, which is, you know, officially an hour and a half later, you know, they're like, oh, thank goodness the bullet went all the way through. My arm's feeling much better now. It's like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, it's an AR-15, right? Yeah, you'll feel great the rest of the day, you know. I mean, but you have to suspend your disbelief. But Right. Yeah. So what is the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Um, Facebook or Twitter. I do occasionally post on Instagram, but I've got to reset it up because when I post on Instagram, it then reposts on my personal page of Facebook. So it's like two posts, and I'm like, oh, which button do I have to? take off but they can go to richard blade page or they can go to richard blade they're both mine on facebook richard blade page has the blue tick and on twitter it's at richard blade and i do have a website which i don't update that much so if you go to the gig section you'll see that i'm doing a gig with erasure in a couple of weeks that was actually in 2018 whoops I need to update that, but the but the the front page is uh, updated with current photos and everything, and that's just uh, richardblade.com. That's awesome. I do follow you on Twitter. Um, you have some very interesting tweets you put out there, and you're very, uh, very forthright. Yeah, I'm. I do put political. I never ever talk politics on the radio ever because right. people are paying for it. They they're paying for the music, etc. And there's people that know a lot more than me that can. Uh, express themselves politically a a lot better but i happen to love america very very much Um, america growing up with kennedy as a kid a young kid i remember the women in the streets of england crying when he was killed crying and then when robert kennedy was killed oh my gosh you would you would have thought the queen had died and america was always the city on the hill to me And it didn't matter whether you were a Republican or a Democrat, because all the parties at that time seemed to want a great America. 
uh, they just wanted to go to go about it different ways. And I voted both in the past. I voted Republican. I voted Democrat. It just breaks my heart these days. And I'm not going to get into any names. I'm not getting to any parties that there's so much pulling apart and that if you're not one, then they hate you. You know, you're a Republican or whatever it is, or a libertad, you know, and it's like, hang on. No, I'm an American, you know, and I want the best for this country because it is a great, great country. And, you know, I've been worked in many, many countries. And the thing about America is anyone can become an American. If you go to Japan, you can't become Japanese. You can't. They have a name for you in Japanese, which means foreigner, even if you have the citizenship. But in America, once you become an American, you're an American. It doesn't matter if you're from Central America. It doesn't matter if you're from Canada. It doesn't matter if you're from Europe, Australia, whatever. If you devote yourself to America, you take your citizenship, take the exam, then you're upholding the country. And that's what I think we've lost the direction of. Let's all try and make this a great country because it is a fantastic country. It is the castle on the hill that I always dreamed of. It is Camelot. But recently people have been undermining it and there's no need to do that. You know, that's selfish. And, and I suppose in a way it's treasonous because you're undermining the country. Are you like me? Are you a dual citizen with Great Britain? I am. Yeah. Okay. I have my British citizenship and then in 1988, I got my American citizenship. And ever since that day, I voted in every single election and made sure I was informed in every election as well. You know, and Chris and I will go through it and we'll vote for people and um, we'll say, you know, this is a good bill. This is not so good in our opinion. We try to read about it. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I have the dual citizenship. But when I travel, it's always my American passport. My British passport is not with me in Mexico. It's just the American. Right. So taking what you just said, so I am my interviews with my favorite question. The question is this, if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of earth? I would like to say we're all on a rock. We're hurtling through space at thousands of miles an hour. Our nearest neighbors will probably never get to in our lifetimes. So this is all we've got. Why not look after it? You look after your house. If you got a Harley, you probably clean it twice a week. Harley riders love their bikes. You know, if you've got a sports car, you're taking it to the car wash, even when it's not dirty because you want it to be good and you're putting in the best fuel. Can't we look at our planet and say, this is all we've got without the planet. You've got no Harley, you've got no sports car, you've got no house, and you've got no kids. So let's just take a little time to say, let's be good to this place that we're so privileged to be on. I mean, we've got water here, we've got ice, we've got land, we've got mountains, we've got a sky, we've got an atmosphere we can breathe. I mean, that we're one in a million. you know. And I'm sure there is life on other planets. I'm sure there are inhabitable planets. But unless someone comes up with warp drive and a Captain Kirk, we're never going to find them. So the book is The Unlocked Interviews, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. And you can find Richard on SiriusXM First Wave, Channel 33. And you can find that schedule by going to SiriusXM app. Richard, 
this has truly been a great honor for me. And thank you for taking the time out of your, I know, incredibly busy schedule to talk to you today. Derek, a pleasure. Great questions, man. And you certainly know your stuff. I'm very thrilled to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 129. I want to thank Richard again for being so incredibly generous with his time. I'm so glad we could connect. In case you didn't pick up on it, Richard is someone I have the highest respect for, and to see him rocking the airways better than almost everyone is inspirational at best. Who knows? Hopefully Richard might come back on the show again because I know that would be a real treat, and the invitation is always open. For those who follow The Derek Duvall Show on social media, all of you saw that I got to see the boss himself, Bruce Springsteen, last night here in Tulsa. Man, what an amazing show. The boss killed it for nearly three hours, folks. Three hours. Easily the hardest working man in show business, in my opinion. The E Street Band sounded amazing. If you haven't had a chance to check out Bruce on this current tour, if he's coming anywhere near you, invest in some good tickets, and you'll be true to one hell of a great show fronted by one of America's true poets, songwriters, and performers. Tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person on this show. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We prefer good ones, though, of course. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there with everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. I've also added new shirts, so please go on and check them out. There are some really fun ones on there, so please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says merch. Click that, and you'll be taken to our store on Tee Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at The Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to my beloved wife, Bruce. <laughs> no star, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.